How many times have you been driving and your voice guidance on your map starts chirping at you because you haven't been following the directions? I did that the other night. Uh, whoa, oh, sorry, redirect. I was on autopilot, right? Make the le next left. Uh, uh, okay, the ne okay, the next left. Okay, uh, make a U-turn at the next intersection. <laughs> it sounds a lot like life to me, maybe to you as well. You know, God continues to speak to us uh, through his word in community, by his spirit, to get us back on track. But we've all had these moments, likely, where, where we're driving on, on autopilot, not our Teslas, you know, but our, but our brains, you know, on autopilot. And uh, we arrive at home or work and realize we've made very few conscious decisions, right? <laughs> Have you done that? That's actually a mild form of dissociation. You know, you're in another world. You're, you're checked out. But so many of us live our lives like this. We just go on ahead mindlessly doing our stuff, our routines, with no perception on what the real purpose of life is, or the real purpose of this day, or what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. Holy Spirit means to be in such close association, not dissociation, but association with us for those who have given their allegiance to Jesus. You know, we're the people who are taking back every thought into account and processing it, praying without ceasing as he brings to mind scripture, scripture that we've put to memory and, and meditation. You know, today we're going to meet a disciple of Jesus who's on this missionary journey of Paul and Silas. And I'd like you just to imagine his perspective on learning to walk in the Spirit how to receive guidance to work in the Spirit. This is our task daily, isn't it? To walk in the Spirit, to work in the Spirit. Today our text is going to lead us into an apparent contradiction, some amazing course corrections, and an awesome conundrum. Why don't you join me? Let's go. Let's begin with an apparent contradiction. So Acts 16, 1 through 10. Paul also came to Derby and to Lystra. That's where they were before. Let's remember back a few pages, these towns were in an uproar over the message that we call the gospel, right? That Jesus is king, the rightful king overall, and that there is a message of forgiveness to everyone. You know, he's the, he's the fulfillment of the Jewish hope and the hope for the Gentile nations, the gospel. So Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way, through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So Luke, the author of this book, the book of the Acts of, of the Apostles, more like the Acts of Jesus that he did through his apostles by the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the book of Acts, he tells us that Timothy's mother was Jewish, right? You caught that, but his father was Greek, and that the Jewish community knew about his mixed origins. He was an in-betweener. 
It also says he was well spoken of by the brothers. It's a fun, fascinating term, uh, martyreo, that, that's used to refer to the, the respect that was given to Jesus. You see that in, in Luke chapter 4. Uh, it was given to, we call the seven deacons um, in, in Acts chapter 6, and Cornelius as well, well spoken of very highly regarded among the people. And so now Timothy is here, but, and he's, he's well spoken of by those who live in Lystra and the neighboring city of Iconium. And although evidence in Paul's second letter to Timothy suggests that his mother had raised him with an understanding of Scripture, we see that in 2 Timothy, um, his father had apparently resisted allowing him to be circumcised. That makes sense, right? Craig Keener has some insight on this. He, he informs us that many Greeks considered circumcision a cause for mockery or sometimes even a form of mutilation. Ugh, you know, gross. Marriage to proselytes, meaning someone who um, is becoming a Jew, that's not problematic. But Timothy's lack of circumcision, says Keener, suggests that his father had not converted to Judaism. All right, so you get the picture here. So, so what about this circumcision thing, though? This is the apparent contradiction, and it can be puzzling, because we know by now that Greeks don't need to be circumcised to become believers in Jesus. That was what the whole letter was about. Gentile inclusion into the covenant of Jesus is through allegiance to Jesus alone. Sins are forgiven, and they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's the plan. That's the progress. And this is what Paul and Silas are telling the churches. Uh, all these things, you know, they're, they're sharing them the, the, the beauty of this. You don't have to do this. And Paul circumcises Timothy. <laughs> In short, this is another of those moments where the mission is what matters. Okay, we're on mission, and we need to do some things that are going to accomplish our mission. We're going to be going into synagogues. Those are Jewish places of, of worship and community. And we're going to preach about the Messiah, and we want to get a fair hearing without the controversy of, oh, who did he bring in to the synagogue and brought another Greek in here, huh? Bruce Longenecker, uh, I commend him to you as a, as a thinker. He's a prolific commentator and professor of Christian origins at Baylor. He puts it this way, as Paul saw it, being a good Christian did not mean being a bad Jew. Think about that. Being a good Christian did not mean being a bad Jew. Rather, it meant being a fulfilled Jew. Paul had no desire to flout Jewish scruples in his endeavor to bring both Jews and Gentiles to salvation in Christ. So he is going to in order to win the Jews, he's going to live like, like his Jewish heritage would say. And, and he wants that for Timothy as well. So, so now Timothy has full access to the synagogue and to the house churches as well. And they can accomplish their mission, which is to strengthen and encourage the new Christ followers to be, uh, to be pursuing Jesus. And to be, they get to be part of the, the church growth as well. But... His journey in learning to follow the Spirit's guidance was about to take an interesting direction. And I want you to try to imagine yourself as Timothy as we see some amazing course corrections in this passage. I see the conversation like this. You know, Timothy says, uh, hey, Paul, where are we going? 
And Paul says, well, I'm thinking the most obvious route would be to head over these mountains here and, and then follow the river down the Lycus Valley to Colossae, Laodicea, and then to that major port city of Ephesus. I think that's where we're going to go. Timothy says, okay, let's go. You're the boss, right? That's what I, that's the way I see it. But let's pick up with the story in Acts 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. A lot of course corrections. I imagine Timothy trying to figure out what kind of planner is this Paul? So are we headed down on the way to Ephesus? Well, I guess not. We're not going to Asia after all. Well, why is that exactly? Well, the Spirit forbids it. And so, so Timothy is learning that the Spirit is the one directing traffic. God only knows where he wants us and to whom we are being sent. Same, same for you. God only knows where he wants you and to whom you are being sent. I shared the story a while back of a restaurant manager that God had obviously directed my steps toward because he had a word for her, a, a message. You know, it was, well, let's not go to this restaurant. Uh, oh, this time doesn't work. Let's do this time. And yeah, let's go to this one. And and uh, at that time, and then, yeah, we'll sit over here in this section of the restaurant. All these kind of variables that just kind of work their way over. This message was for her. Not the server who took my order, but the manager who brought my food. Her. her. When I offered to pray for her, as is my custom, her eyes filled with tears. And the encouragement about the gospel, about Jesus, began. Uh, this is a month and a half ago, but a few weeks ago, Jeremy and I, my friend, met up again, and we sat down with her and shared our stories of Jesus' transformation and what God's heart was for her. And she said this, she said, you guys have no idea what I was going through. I was praying that morning, God, I just need a hug. And there we were, <laughs> giving her a hug, at proving again to us as well as to you, and certainly to her, that God is running this universe. He is the one that's reaching out, directing traffic. So in verse 9, as they're waiting on the Lord in Troas, verse 9 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, this is a, a, a European region here, was standing there, urging them and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach to them. There's a couple things to notice there. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Uh, one is that the languages we sought to go on into Macedonia. I think Luke has picked up on the journey here. <laughs> He's no longer doing uh, reports. He's got eyewitness testimony now. He knows that he's a part of this. But, but they, were, they were experiencing God's direction in their prayerful trudge through the wilds of northern Galatia, 
among less civilized clans uh, on what was likely a two-week dusty journey on tired feet, walking in the Spirit, fellowshipping in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. And Timothy was learning the life of a missionary. Well, the life of a Christ follower. The life of all disciples of Jesus, because we're all sent on mission, called to be disciple makers. That's the life of a disciple, this prayerful walk through life. But tucked in here is a, it's, a, it's either a curious error in the Bible or a huge clue, an awesome conundrum. Did you notice the mentions of the Spirit in verses 6 and 7? I'll read it again see what you pick up. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So who was it that was directing the traffic? Was it the Holy Spirit or was it the Spirit of Jesus? Well, yes. The answer is, is yes. Yeah, but but how how does that how does that work? The the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of, of Jesus, in a fireside chat, with uh, with a group of ICC guys, um, there was a Mormon friend showed up and and his name was Clay, and he asked us about the Trinity. He's like, so you guys believe in like the Trinity, right? And he claimed that he was a tri-theist or that he believed that there was a Heavenly Father, there was the Holy Spirit, and that there was Jesus, um, all gods. And, you know, I, I, said, I, I can see where you're coming from. You know, the Scripture says the Father is God, and the Spirit is God, and, and the Son is God. That's three. <laughs> In Islam, uh, they believe that Allah is a solitary divine being with no partners. Even calling Jesus the Son of God is too dangerous. So is it three or is it one? Well, the answer again is yes. <laughs> this is the conundrum. Well, did we Christians just make that up? Maybe it was uh, determined in some smoke-filled room in the backs of, you know, the Constantine's empire, and they just decided that they were going to make this happen. Well, as I explained to, to Clay, we, we don't expect to comprehend the three-in-one nature of the Godhead, but we do apprehend it. So we can apprehend, if not comprehend. We read that there is one God. We read that Jesus is God, and the Father is God, and the Spirit is God. An awesome conundrum, of, of course. So here, we're tasked with the understanding of this question in verse 6 and 7, with the Holy Spirit being equated to the Spirit of Jesus. It's, it's, it's the same. Alan Siegel, uh, in his work, The Two Powers in Heaven, says it, it used to be orthodox theology in Judaism to honor two powers in heaven. It's all throughout the rabbinic writings. Um, there were two powers in heaven that were good, supernatural beings on two thrones ruling the cosmos. Daniel chapter 7 has perhaps the, the clearest vision of this. You'd have one visible Yahweh figure and one invisible Yahweh figure, the Son of Man and and the Ancient of Days. But maybe you're more familiar with the voice of Yahweh from the burning bush and the angel of the Lord appearing to Moses in the same 
seen. It happens with Gideon in similar fashion. These are, these are things you could look up and read. It'd be great. But this two-power belief in Judaism becomes heresy around the beginning of the second century, probably related to the more public claims of the Christian church that they saw Jesus fitting into the slot of the visible Yahweh. And so maybe maybe that's why, oh, we can't have this anymore. It just fits too well with our expectations that Jesus would be the visible Yahweh, the manifestation of, of Yahweh in, in human form. As we've mentioned, we have lots of examples of, of Yahweh, this Yahweh figure in human form. Because we know from Hebrew scriptures that no one can look on God and live. And yet, there are many occasions, like I just mentioned, where people do just that. They look on God and live. That's because he takes on this human form. He becomes his own messenger, Hebrew malak um, in, in Greek angelos, but angel, a messenger. The angel of Yahweh is the most obvious example because he's described as having Yahweh's name in him. Yahweh's name, my name is in him, and this angel will go before you. That's God's very presence in this being. So before we get to the New Testament discussion about the three in one of this Godhead, we already have this two-person view in the Hebrew Scriptures. And of course, knowing that the Spirit is throughout the Old Testament as well. And then we get to the story of Jesus, and we find out that Jesus is God, but isn't the Father, because remember, Jesus is praying to the Father. So he's Yahweh. He's the I Am, and therefore deity. And Jesus has all the attributes of God, yet isn't God the Father. Well, here, here comes the three in one, right? There's, this, there's a type of relationship within the Godhead that we come to understand. Father, Son, Spirit. And Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God, and now we have the Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus is God, but isn't the Father, so the Spirit is God, but isn't Jesus. That's a lot to think about. Like I said, an awesome conundrum. Michael Heiser notes that the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus are used in parallel here. So the question is, is it the Spirit of God or is it the Spirit of Jesus? <laughs> well, the answer is yes. <laughs> just like, is it God or is it Jesus? The answer is yes. So it's passages like this where you actually get Trinitarian theology. Uh, it comes from this notion of a Godhead that begins in the Old Testament with, with two figures that are both Yahweh, but one is visible and one isn't. So I don't want you to fall into the lie that because the word Trinity isn't used in the Bible, that the concept is not present here to describe the God who is three in one. Does that make sense a little bit? So, so, so let's recap. We've got an apparent contradiction. Can you circumcise Timothy? That just seems to go against things, but we know it's, it's for the mission. Some amazing course corrections. Wow, the Spirit's telling us to go here and not there, directing traffic. And an awesome conundrum. This God who is one God, but three as well. And I've been asking you to think like Timothy, I think like a Timothy in this section of scripture. Timothy is an in-betweener. Jewish mom, Greek dad, straddling two worlds. How many of you feel like you're straddling worlds? Maybe at work and at home and in a neighborhood. And, and I have this background, but I'm also a Jesus person. As Willie James Jennings says, Timothy is at home in the worlds of Jew and Gentile 
precisely because he's a Christian. That's the bridge. He's already what the Christian must be. This is what the Christian must be. A question to everyone and every people. Hmm. What's with that person? And he's also an answer, says Jennings. He's already what the Christian must be, a question to everyone and every people, and he is also an answer. Have you thought about yourself as an answer to the questions people have about God and the world? Have you thought about that? Hmm. Every week I'm connecting with someone and sharing my story of how Jesus transformed my life. I'm building a bridge for the gospel. And so if you're listening in and that was you yesterday, or <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Build a bridge. My story is a bridge to Jesus, and he wants to transform your life. In fact, to bring you life and peace and hope and love and joy. That's what my life is for. So I want you to think about the course corrections in your own daily life. Um, you know, wow, that was a big adjustment. You know, our sister Lou was telling me of the peace she had in a really trying and expensive situation with contractors at her home. But for some, for some reason, and we know it was Jesus, she saw this as an opportunity not only to pay them more, uh, more than she planned, but to, to feed them lunch. Um, sorry to break it to you, Christian, but there are no circumstances that take God by surprise. So I need you to think about him directing traffic. And so some pesky pastor questions for you. Uh, is it too strange to think that God is seeking the lost, redeeming souls, partnering with us to bring the message? Is that too strange to think about? Is it too strange to think that God wants you here right now and not there? Uh, and, and now, but, but not then. No, I want you here. And so we go in the presence of, of God. See, in God's view of time, his use of time, his organization and direction of our minutes and our hours and our days, our whole lives, in view of God's time, there are no mistakes, interruptions, delays, coincidences. He orchestrates the timing deals with the delays by infusing each moment with the purpose only the creator and sustainer of all things can do. Can I say that again? He orchestrates the timing, deals with the delays by infusing every moment with the purpose that only the creator and sustainer of all things can do. The Spirit of Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit, says in the context of worship and fasting and prayer in, in the church at Antioch to set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. God knows the timing. So a question that you should likely have now is, well, what can I expect for divine guidance? Maybe it's been a while since you've heard from Jesus. What can I expect from Princess Bride, is it is it like Inigo Montoya praying to the spirit of his dead father to guide his sword to find the man in black, and he's just just kind of hoping that that maybe you can you can find the right place. Guide my sword, right? Is it like that? Well, that's a funny extreme, but it's actually more like honoring your father and mother who stand in God's place to guide and direct. A godly parent. Wow. What an, what an amazing source of guidance. 
Now, guidance from God is more like saying, you know, I don't know uh, what to do in this situation, but I know the one who does know. Let me check. Right? <laughs> After a discussion in a discipleship group, Andrew used this tactic on a phone. He was facing a difficult business transaction, a decision. What should I do? I'm not really sure. And he said this, can I put you on hold uh, just for a moment while I check with my boss? So he puts him on hold. He prays to God. Because Andrew remembered that, that he knew the one who knew, right? Is that, that's more like guidance from God. Guidance from God is more like spending time in, in what he's already said. Do, do you have a Bible? His word, the word was speaking. He's speaking through his word. Guidance from God is more like unceasing prayer. When, when they call you or they you know, finally find you, uh, when, when people have been looking for you, do they, do they find you practicing unbroken fellowship with the creator of the universe? Oh, sorry, am I interrupting something? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you are, always. But I have time for you. What's up? <laughs> of course you're interrupting. That's what unceasing prayer is. Yes, of course. That's what guidance from God looks like. Guidance from God is, is more like prayer in God's presence. This is, this is what we say, prayer unto God. I'm, I'm here in his presence. It's not sending up prayer requests. You might as well just ask your phone to, uh, hey, could you send my list of prayer requests to heaven for me? Um, and could you do that daily, preferably before I wake up? That would be great, thanks, you know? It's not like sending a list to Santa Claus. This, this means you're, you're praying to God in his presence. Your wish list should come after you make sure that you're actually seeking his face. Oh, seek his face. Sometimes at dinner, I'll, I'll remind uh, whichever child is praying with a question. Say, who, who are you praying to again? Well, you know, to the universe, to the wish list, to the... Just, it's a struggle, isn't it? And lastly, I think guidance is more like waiting on the Lord. For heaven's sake, don't just get busy. Wait on the Lord. That's what the men and women of God did when they didn't know what to do. We wait on the Lord. So some more pesky pastor questions for you. Uh, do you believe that God does direct and guide through his word? by his spirit, and through the family of his holy ones, the saints. Do you believe that? If it's true that God wants the good news of the kingship of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins to be spread, do you get to play traffic cop and decide who gets to hear? Imagine yourself in the intersection. Okay, you get to hear about the news. Uh, nope, not you. You stay there. Yes, you. I, I like you. Nice car. Come on through. Yeah, that's fine. I'm saying no for you. Yeah, that you wouldn't want to trust in Jesus anyway, I'm sure. Uh, I see. Oh, yeah, you're coming through heavens this way. You can, you can pass through tattoos. I think I'll put you in this line over here. That, that one's going to the other place. Uh, no, sir, I, I know you. I've seen your heart. No, not, not you. Oh, yes, let this one through. She looks like the kind of person we would want to have in heaven. Are, are you the traffic cop? <laughs> Or do you believe that the Spirit does direct and guide through his word and that he wants the news of the kingship of Jesus and forgiveness of sins to be spread out? You and I are the bridge, not the traffic cop. We encourage movement toward Jesus. 
you know, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke will set sail to Macedonia. And in, in doing so, they're going to bring the gospel to a new continent. This is a well-traveled region. Uh, and, and all the Black Sea traffic going to and from Ukraine goes through there. So this is a, this is a hot area, right? This gap here, um, just north of Troas, across um, in what's called the Dardanelles, um, is uh, as of Friday, March 18th, is now spanned by the longest suspension bridge in the world. It's 2,023 meters long, which is an allusion to uh, Turkish Republic's 100th anniversary in 2023. So Erdogan uh, just opened this up just, um, just a week ago. And until now, vehicles traveling between Anatolia and the Gallipoli Peninsula had to cross the Dardanelles in a one-hour ferry journey which included waiting time amounting up to as much as five hours. <laughs> and now you think Paul and Silas, how long it took for them to get around, around the horn. Now the journey just takes about six minutes. And I want you to think about this. You and I are the in-betweeners. We stand between neighbors and uh, work co-workers and, and God and man as priests. We're go-betweens. And a lost world isn't going to find itself. So let's, let's open up the traffic. And together, let's be the bridge.